Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about hormone axis physiology. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash hormone axis physiology or in the endocrinology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Hormones are messenger chemicals that travel in the blood between organs and tissues, regulating many processes. A hormone axis is a system that controls the amount of a hormone in the system. Too much or too little of a hormone can have significant consequences. Let's start by talking about the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. The hypothalamus releases hormones that stimulate the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland has an anterior and a posterior part that releases different hormones. The anterior pituitary gland releases thyroid-stimulating hormone, shortened to TSH, adrenocorticotropic hormone, shortened to ACTH, follicle-stimulating hormone, shortened to FSH, and luteinizing hormone, shortened to LH, growth hormone, shortened to GH, and prolactin. The posterior pituitary releases oxytocin and antidiuretic hormone, shortened to ADH. Let's talk about the thyroid axis. The hypothalamus releases thyrotropin-releasing hormone, shortened to TRH. This stimulates the anterior pituitary to release thyroid-stimulating hormone, or TSH. Thyroid-stimulating hormone stimulates the thyroid gland to release triiodothyronine, or T3, and thyroxine, or T4. The hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary respond to T3 and T4, the thyroid hormones, by suppressing the release of thyrotropin-releasing hormone and thyroid-stimulating hormone. In turn, reduced TRH and TSH results in lower amounts of T3 and T4. Lower levels of these thyroid hormones result in less suppression of the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary, so they release more thyrotropin-releasing hormone and thyroid-stimulating hormone, and this causes a rise in the thyroid hormones. This way, the thyroid hormone level is closely regulated to keep it in normal limits. If the thyroid hormone gets too high, the hypothalamus and anterior pituitary release less of their controlling hormones. And if the level gets too low, the hypothalamus and anterior pituitary produce more of their controlling hormones to bring the level of the thyroid hormones back up. When the end hormone, in this example the thyroid hormones, suppress the release of the controlling hormones, in this situation the thyrotropin-releasing hormone and the thyroid-stimulating hormone, this is called negative feedback. Next let's talk about the adrenal axis. Cortisol is secreted by the two adrenal glands which sit above each kidney. The hypothalamus controls the release of cortisol. Cortisol is released in pulses throughout the day and in response to a stressful stimulus and it's called a stress hormone. It has diurnal variation which means it's high and low at different times of the day. 
Typically, cortisol peaks early in the morning, which triggers us to wake up and get going. And then it's at its lowest late in the evening, prompting us to relax and fall asleep. The hypothalamus releases corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH, and this stimulates the anterior pituitary to release adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH. And this ACTH stimulates the adrenal glands to release cortisol. The adrenal axis is also controlled by negative feedback. Cortisol is sensed by the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary, suppressing the release of CRH and ACTH. This results in lower amounts of cortisol, and in this way cortisol is closely regulated to keep it in normal limits. Cortisol has several actions within the body. It increases alertness, it inhibits the immune system, it inhibits bone formation, it raises the blood glucose level, and it increases metabolism. Next, let's talk about the growth hormone axis. The hypothalamus produces growth hormone releasing hormone, or GHRH. This stimulates the anterior pituitary to release growth hormone, or GH. Growth hormone stimulates the release of insulin-like growth factor 1, or IGF-1, from the liver. Through this mechanism, growth hormone works directly and indirectly on almost all cells of the body, and it has many functions. Most importantly, it stimulates muscle growth, increases bone density and strength, stimulates cell regeneration and reproduction, and stimulates the growth of the internal organs. Next, let's talk about the parathyroid axis. Parathyroid hormone, or PTH, is released from the four parathyroid glands, which are situated at the four corners of the thyroid gland. Parathyroid hormone is released in response to a low calcium level in the blood. It's also released in response to a low magnesium and a low phosphate level. The role of parathyroid hormone is to increase the serum calcium concentration. Parathyroid hormone increases the activity and the number of osteoclasts in bone, and this causes reabsorption of calcium from the bone into the blood, increasing the serum calcium concentration. It also stimulates calcium reabsorption in the kidneys, meaning less calcium is excreted in the urine. It also stimulates the kidneys to convert vitamin D3 into calcitriol, which is the active form of vitamin D. Vitamin D is a hormone that promotes calcium absorption from food in the intestine. These three effects of parathyroid hormone that is, increasing calcium absorption in the bone, increasing calcium reabsorption in the kidneys, and increasing calcium absorption in the intestine via vitamin D, all help to increase the serum calcium. A high serum calcium suppresses the release of parathyroid hormone via negative feedback, and this helps to reduce the serum calcium level. Finally, let's talk about the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Renin is an enzyme secreted by the juxtaglomerular cells in the afferent arterioles in the kidneys, 
There are also some in the efferent arterioles, but they're mostly found in the afferent arterioles. These juxtaglomerulus cells sense blood pressure in the afferent arterioles of the kidney and secrete more renin in response to a low blood pressure and less renin in response to a high blood pressure. Renin is an enzyme that acts to convert angiotensinogen, which is released by the liver, into angiotensin 1. Angiotensin 1 converts to angiotensin 2 in the lungs with the help of an enzyme called angiotensin converting enzyme or ACE. Angiotensin 2 acts on blood vessels causing vasoconstriction and vasoconstriction increases the blood pressure. Therefore, in a patient with a low blood pressure, renin is released which converts angiotensinogen into angiotensin 1, angiotensin 1 converts to angiotensin 2, and angiotensin 2 causes vasoconstriction, which increases the blood pressure. Angiotensin 2 also stimulates the release of aldosterone from the adrenal glands and contributes to cardiac remodeling by promoting hypertrophy of the heart muscle cells, or myocytes. Aldosterone, which is released in response to angiotensin 2, is a mineralocorticoid steroid hormone. It acts on the nephrons of the kidneys to increase sodium reabsorption from the distal tubule, increase potassium secretion from the distal tubule, and increase hydrogen secretion from the collecting ducts. When sodium is reabsorbed by the kidneys, water follows the sodium by osmosis, and this leads to increased intravascular volume and subsequently an increased blood pressure. Therefore, when aldosterone stimulates sodium reabsorption in the kidneys, this leads to greater intravascular volume and a higher blood pressure. A Tom tip for you, understanding the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system is essential to understanding the mechanism of action of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin-2 receptor blockers. By blocking the action of angiotensin-converting enzyme or angiotensin-2 receptors, they reduce the activity of angiotensin-2, reducing vasoconstriction, cardiac remodeling and the secretion of aldosterone. Reducing the aldosterone levels leads to reduced sodium reabsorption in the kidneys and less water retention. However, the reduced potassium secretion by the kidneys means that these medications can cause hyperkalemia or a raised potassium. So thanks for listening to this episode on hormone axis physiology. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about thyroid function tests.